0: Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2276 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are delivering the messages I delivered at upon Congregational Church over the past couple of years, and this is the 21st of a 25-week message series covering the book of Hebrews. This message is titled, Endurance and Discipline. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. To run the race is before us, and that's certainly what our lesson is about today, running that race, as we continue our extended series through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Now, last week we explored the triumphs and the tragedies of the faithful, and this week we're going to extend that thought line, and we'll focus on our long-term life of faith, which requires both endurance and discipline. Our passage today is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. It's on page 1877 of your pew Bibles. And this section is uh, titled, God's Disciplines Proves He Loves Us. Let's start with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses a son? It says, my son... Do not not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone who he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their fathers? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, We have all had human fathers who have disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level the, your paths, the paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. More than ever, we're reminded as we enter this Christian life of faith that we don't necessarily enter a playground, but is more akin to a battleground. The underlying principles that run throughout Hebrews especially finds a clear expression in chapter 12, when we enter into the relationship with Christ, we are initiated into his body, the church, and are thrust onto the spiritual battlefield. Yes, we'll always be shielded and armed with forgiveness through the blood of Christ. We have eternal security guaranteed by the will of the Father and the power to live a new life through the Holy Spirit. These things can never be snatched away from us. However, they, these are provisions for the battles that we might face in life. They're not a means of excusing us from that battle. The book of Hebrews was written to men and women who were in the thick of that battle against the flesh, against the world, against spiritual forces of evil. And some of them were trembling in their boots. Others were retreated into the trenches. And then some were tempted to turn tail and run back to their old Jewish ways, back to the synagogues. But he urges them toward a life of faith, an enduring hope that responds positively to God's loving discipline in order to provide maturity for us. He wants us to lean on Christ, who is superior for pressing on in our faith. He doesn't want them to be just a flash-in-the-pan Christian. A flash-in-the-pan Christian is someone who starts something with a lot of noise and flurry, but soon fades and passes off the scene They're quick to begin, they're all enthusiastic, they have big ideas, loud talk, and heated emotions, but when the going gets tough, they drop through the cracks. They have no staying power, they lack the virtue of endurance, and then they crumble under the discipline, Thus, the message today, is endurance and discipline. Authentic Christian faith should lead a Christian life of enduring hope for us. Such hope pushes us through the hardships of this fallen world. It perseveres through the persecutions of a godless world. But even more importantly, it responds positively to the Father's discipline, that loving God, who during our journey through this life of faith in this imperfect world. Then we saw the last three weeks, Hebrews 11, it painted a picture, a brilliant picture of men and women of faith, authentic faith. That endured hardships, they persevered through persecutions, they responded well to God's discipline. Hebrews twelve then brings us as believers into focus to answer the question. In light of these examples of the heroic faith that we saw in the last in Hebrews eleven, how do then do we live our own lives? Today's passage, verses one through thirteen of Hebrews twelve, the author explains how we can live lives of faithful endurance, even when there's no applause, even when we don't get trophies for it or no apparent relief at times from the pressures of life, even when we face hardship and hostility in our ever-present reality of trials and temptations, we can embrace the hope and grow closer to God, and we can do this without growing weary. In the course of the exhortation to hope, the author deals with the uncomfortable reality that God's discipline which provides us toward, provokes us toward a greater faith, hope, and love. It's just giving us a glimpse of God's purpose here for allowing pain and suffering at times in our lives. We all go through trials and tribulations. Like we mentioned last week, the sun shines on the just and the unjust. Now Hebrews 11 was a roll call of great men and women of faith who fought, their faith of the spiritual battles in this fallen world. But not all of them were decorated by victories. Many suffered and died amid their struggles. And none saw the conflict to the very end, which was the destruction of sin and death and the unseen evil spiritual forces and the establishment of the everlasting kingdom of Christ, which we're all looking forward to even yet today. All of them, however, stand as permanent testimonies to the fact that the life of faith does pay off. It's best for us, because they endured in faith-driven hope, we can also. The practical point of Hebrews 11 was that these saints of old were born and raised with imperfection. None of them were completely righteous. They lived as sinners that were saved by grace. They persevered through hardships with faith and hope. As mortal humans, they were no better than you or I in their walk of faith. Therefore, we can have this enduring hope to climb out of the trenches, to listen to our commander's voice, and to soldier on. Now, most of us can't relate to the battlefield metaphors I've been using. Some of you might have served in the armed forces. You may or may not have seen combat. However, almost all of you have participated in some sort of sport, whether it be tennis, football, track, baseball, basketball, something you've played in as a sport. So in this instance, the author of Hebrews presents a perfect analogy, a brilliant metaphor of a sporting event. In this case, it's a foot race, as Paul's children's message was about to encourage his readers to press on and finish their journey of faith, just like the runner today, where the father came alongside and he finished that race. The spiritual athlete is showcased in chapter 11, and they were ushered off the tracks now and into the grandstand because they finished the race. They were ushered off so we could take their place in this faith walk, in this marathon of faith, that is our life. As we look at verses 1 through 3, it starts out in verse 1 with, Therefore. It connects the passages together in a cause and effect relationship. Consequently, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, refers to all those men and women in this tapestry of faith that was masterfully woven together in Hebrews 11. In other words, in light of the faithful testimony of men and women like Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, and Gideon. Verse 1 tells us, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Brought a couple props along today. Hopefully I can get them on and off without too much difficulty. One is everything that hinders us. The other is the sin that so easily entangles us. All believers enter into this contest of faith, verses 1 through 3. The author of Hebrews plays the role of a coach, teaching us how to be prepared for that race, to stay on track. And the first thing he tells us, the writer tells us, to do is throw off two things, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The Greek word for race here is agon, and it's used in the same sense as a struggle or a fight throughout the New Testament. The Christian life is not a game of hopscotch. It's not a short sprint. It's not the 100-yard dash. It's a challenging and exhausting marathon. Making it to the very end requires that we set everything aside, that we might hold dear to us, that might weigh us down and cause us to slow down and falter in our lives, and the word translated hinders is on cost. It refers to that which is hinders us from doing something. The picture of the runner in our present context is hindered by anything. It <clears throat> could be a coat, it could be boots, it could be jewelry, hoodies, boots that would hinder you from running properly. Commentator Allen notes in the first century AD, runners ran in a stadium virtually naked. But first, they would come into the stadium wearing these long, heavy, flowing robes. And right before the race began, they would drop those robes and be virtually naked, ready to run that race. In the spiritual race, we must set aside anything that might make us endurance difficult for us, anything excessive, needless, useless, that hindrances that are not the same for each runner, though. Ken Hughes, another commentator, wrote, what is a hindrance for you may not be a hindrance for someone else. A hindrance is something that might otherwise be good. That weighs us down spiritually, though. It could be a friendship, an association, an event, a place, a habit, a pleasure, an entertainment, even an honor. But as otherwise good things drags us down, then we must strip it away. To endure the race of faith, believers must first set aside that needless baggage of those distractions in our world that cause us to falter in our faith or not run with endurance, we need to set it aside, even though it may be mutually morally neutral. And then the second hindrance in our spiritual endurance is the sin that so easily entangles us. Any sin that could trip us up could be something from a fib to outright apostasy, We must prepare ourselves to run a clean race, setting aside these habitual sins and avoiding the constant temptation that could cause us to stumble and fall. So we must set aside the sin that entangles our lives. In the immediate context, however, it may be that the author is not talking about general sins, but a specific sin, the sin of unfaithfulness or unbelief. In our minds. The sin of faithlessness comes in different sizes. It might be a biting fly that buzzes around our head and is a distraction, a nagging doubt that won't stop irritating us. If you've ever worked outside and we used to have these horse flies that would buzz around us, they're just nasty and continually bothering us. Around here is more mosquitoes, I think. Or it could be like a little dog nipping at your heels and just continually irritating you, the lingering disbelief of the character of faithfulness of God. Or it could be a giant tree that falls across your path, a challenge that's so great that allows us our faith to waver and we're tempted to abandon this race of faith. In every case... We are not to set aside that which is unnecessary distraction or some debilitating sin, but instead we're to run, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. The saints of old did it. Hebrews 11. Were they perfect? Did they always run perfectly in their race? No. All of them had the issues that they dealt with, but they continued on faithfully in their race. The saints of old. Now that they follow well, we, we can follow this well-worn path of faithful endurance. Now, recently, I, my exercise routine in the morning is on the treadmill, and I follow a series of video runs with different coaches leaders. And one recently I participated in was the Transalpine Run that starts in Germany and runs through Austria and into Italy. I think it's 260 miles in total. I didn't run that, but the video clips that I followed had snippets of that throughout the entire race. And that's what reminded us, reminded me in this passage, we don't know the trail that we're running necessarily perfectly. But just in those videos, it would point the direction that you to turn to next. And it had the flags on the trees draped occasionally, so you knew that you were still on the path, the right path that you're running this race in the same way. We don't know where our lives might lead us, how long we will go. Some live lives of a 100 years or more. Some die prematurely, or so it would seem to us. We don't know whether it's going to be uphill or downhill, whether it's going to be smooth or rocky, whether the path is going to be wet or dry. But faith is trusting in God during this uncharted course, knowing that he's gone before us and marked it out. He's put all the markers there. So we know where to stay on this path of faith, the path that will best contribute to our growth for our own personal spiritual maturity. While we're all running that same path of, of faith, our path for each of us might be a little bit different. And while running this course, it is necessary to be driven by faith and drawn in by hope And that's the point of verses 2 and 3. We're not to look down at our feet. We're not to look around at our surroundings. We're not to look back at what we failed in or what we succeeded in. We're to be fixing our eyes on Jesus. Verse 2. It's translated fixing our eyes as a a Greek word, and it means to direct one's attention without distractions. If you've ever seen horses with blinders on, that is specifically so they're not distracted by what's around them. You go on to Amish country and you'll see the horses with buggies. They all have blinders on because they don't want them distracted by the cars or other things going on beyond them. And that's what we're to do, is to keep blinders on. So Jesus Christ is our fixed point. He's the focus of our attention. And why is this? Because he has gone before in this marathon of faith. He's the original one he walked this faith walk with for us the one who will see us through to the end. He's our perfect example. He looked beyond the suffering and shame of the cross, the setting of the hope, because he knew at the end of his race, he would sit down at the right hand of the Father. We know the end, but we don't necessarily know the path, but we do know that Christ set out that path ahead of us. Hope drew him onwards and upwards, giving him the endurance needed to persevere through the hostility of sinners, and likewise, we need to fix our eyes on Him, it says in that passage, "Consider him so that we will not grow weary and lose heart." Jesus, Christ is superior for pressing on. Jesus endured the ruthless, unjust persecution of sinners, and experiences of His was not outside the Father's plan or purpose. Hebrews 5, verse 8 re- reminded us, even though Jesus Christ was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. And so it is with us. Notice that Jesus had never said that he was disciplined by God. No. Discipline is reserved for those who are prone to wander. But he did experience the real human growth through these trials that he had to endure this suffering, how much more should we, who are sinful by nature, go through these faith-challenging experiences in our process of growth? The Jesus, who was without sin, went through trials and tribulations himself. We, who are sinful, expect to experience some discipline in the hands of a loving Father. And when we think of discipline, Most of us, at least in my mind, and I'm sure it's probably for most of us, we think of something that's not pleasant. But in order to be a disciple, the root word disciple is where discipline comes from. The very nature is to be a disciple of Christ. It does require discipline because we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Leave the God I love. We need to have that discipline in order to prepare us and keep us going through this race. Here the author of Hebrews touches on the reality that often tries our faith more than anything else. The discipline of God that we learn that in our struggle against sin and our pursuit of righteousness, God providentially permits Experiences, events, circumstances, and people that may cause us what seems like pain for a moment. But it's not to punish us. It's to purify us. We should rid ourselves of the thought that all painful or all discipline has to be painful. So we move on to verses 4 through 6. Verse 4 notes that unlike the Savior, the Jewish believers reading the letter had not suffered yet in their faith to the extent of shedding of blood. They had not experienced martyrdom for their faith, as the Lord did. The afflictions they experienced, however, were trying their faith, lest we have issues in our lives to try our faith. They were tempted to believe that lie that God had forsaken them, and perhaps he didn't even care for them. After all, if God were pleased with them, why would they suffer at the hands of other Jews and the Roman government? Why were they suffering so? To answer why sometimes painful things happen to God's people, the author brings in here in Hebrews chapter 12, he reminds them of vital truth that they had forgotten, a truth to recall. And he quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. Let me read it from Proverbs from the New Living Translation. It says, My child, do not reject the Lord's discipline, and do not be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves as the Father corrects a child in whom he delights. Through the quotation of King Solomon here in Proverbs, the Jewish believer's beloved source of ancient wisdom, the writer identifies an improper response to God's discipline that represents two extremes. The first is to reject his discipline, is to make light of it, saying, huh, doesn't belong to me. They ignore the difficult circumstances, the trials and tribulation that God enters or ushers into their lives. The second response is to be upset and lose heart and say, I'm trying to live good. I don't deserve this when we face correction. We cave in. We overreact. We push back. We rebel against it. In one case, we're numb to God's hand of discipline. We make light of it. In the other case, we slap it away saying, I don't deserve this. To avoid these two extremes. We need to see the struggles, the trials, the temptations as something that God uses in order to grow us, to purify us. Sometimes because of our rebellious disposition, the pain of these trials is the only thing that will get us through. C.S. Lewis put it nicely when he wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us. In our pains. It is the megaphone that rouses a deaf world. That is why a life of faith is essential to help us endure the painful trials that we may have in our lives. By faith, we trust in God that he loves us, that he is all-powerful, that he does know everything completely. That is, we may not fully understand how God is working things for our good, but we do know that he is, as we're told in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. By faith, we grasp the significance of the next line in Solomon's proverb, that God disciplines out of love, not out of anger or hatred for us. And when he punishes us, he does it as a loving father corrects their children. Therefore, faith enables us to respond to God's discipline with hope rather than indifference and despair. We move on to verses 7 through 11. The author assures his readers that we must endure hardship as discipline in verse 7. Anybody who is parented or is an aunt or uncle or in some way teaches other children, we know that positive encouragement sometimes is just not enough. We're all fallen, sinful human beings. We'll always balk at instructions and buck the correction, and establish our growth. Therefore, positive discipline also invo- involves the flip side of that, some negative consequences for failing to progress. The painful punishment for rebellion, rebelliously transgressing God's precepts in his word. If you look at your bulletin insert on the side, it says endurance and discipline in our faith walk. In this passage, the author unpacks the Proverbs regarding God's discipline with four principles that help us to believe amid our discomfort and pain. The first principle is, God's discipline assures us that we are his children in verses 7 and 8. As a perfectly heaven, perfect heavenly father, God disciplines his children through positive instruction and, if necessary, negative correction. The fact that God is actively involved in our spiritual growth toward maturity proves that we are his children. If we were illegitimate, God wouldn't take the time and trouble with us. Therefore, as his true children, we should strive to endure the discipline that will conform his character, our character to his. The second principle is God's discipline deepens and enhances our spiritual life, verse 9. Now, I've mentioned the, the practice in the Jewish arguments where you argued from the lesser to the greater a couple times in the book of Hebrews here, and this is what we're looking at here again. The author reminds us that our earthly fathers disciplined us, and we respected them at least to a certain point, for by submitting to their words of instruction, their hands of correction. How much more should we be willingly to even joyfully submit to our fathers, our Heavenly Father, in his corrections? The result of submission to God is abundant life a good and prosperous life. Maybe not from resources as we think of a, as a prosperous life, but the prosperous life of a disciple. Through the, though our lives are never perfect and never without pain and suffering at times, staying on the path of faithful obedience will enhance enhance, and re- enrich our lives as recorded throughout the book of Proverbs. It goes back to that principle of planting and harvesting, and it's a law that is just as strong, if not stronger, than the law of gravity. If you plant which is that which is good, you'll harvest that which is good. If you plant that which is bad, you'll harvest that which is bad. So if we plant good, it'll save us from the many intolerable hardships and much pain that comes through being disobedient. It will give us the peace and the joy even when we do have sufferings in our lives, and a lot of that is how we perceive that in our lives, whether it's truly suffering or it's just part of life that we're going through. The third principle is God's discipline continues for our benefit in verse 10. Continuing the comparison between our earthly fathers and our Heavenly Father, the author points out something that every one of us knows. Our earthly fathers were fallen and fail, frail. We're imperfect human beings. I know I wasn't a perfect father. I know my dad wasn't a perfect father. I'm sure his dad wasn't either. Therefore, we occasionally are unfair, sometimes arbitrary, often inconsistent in our discipline and our love. They frequently failed us, even when they strived to do that which was right and wise. And in some cases, earthly fathers unfortunately epitomized everything that shouldn't be done as a parent. But in contrast to our earthly fathers, who in their best scenario, as it says in verse 10, disciplined us as they thought best. Our Heavenly Father is perfect. He's infallible. He's consistent, and he's always fair. He always uses just and suitable means for discipline to accomplish what he wants to achieve in our lives, and that is to make us more like him. And unlike our earthly fathers, who only had a small window of opportunity to influence their children. It says in verse 10, they disciplined us for a little while. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness, which will last throughout all eternity. And then we go on to the fourth principle. God's discipline, though painful at times, is ultimately valuable for our lives. The author underlines the obvious. All discipline, whether positive positive instruction or negative correction, it may seem like it's unhappy at the time, might be burdensome, even sorrowful. As we experience going through that, whether it's like Aubrey and her piano, running up and down the scale of a piano in order to become a good pianist, it takes practice. And I'm sure there's times where she would prefer not to practice, but to become a good pianist, she'll need to. I took piano for eight years growing up, and it was a lot of hard work to do so if I wanted to become good, I never became that good, but if I ever want to pick it back up, it's going to require a lot of discipline. Or maybe it's a coach who blows his whistle to make us run. And then when we're done, he blows it again to stop. Running the race of faith amid tragedy is the same thing until God brings the trail to an end. All discipline and the physical well-being in our spiritual realm may seem painful, but part of it is due to our outlook on that. But the result will be worth it. In the spiritual realm, willingly deserving God's discipline, in verse 11, it says it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. It produces the abundant life that God intended for us. God's loving hand of fatherly discipline produces assurance By demonstrating that we are his children in verses 7 and 8, the results is maturity and deepening and enhancing our spiritual lives in verse 9. It leads to conformity with God's character by continuing to draw us closer to him throughout our lives in verse 10, and as a result is in his holiness by pruning us so that we'll produce spiritual fruit. Now let's move on to the last two verses. In light of these principles of discipline, what should our reaction be? The author calls for the practical response to these truths. We should remain on the straight path toward the goal of faithfulness. He uses a common physical metaphor to communicate these essential truths. When someone who has been out of shape begins to discipline his body in preparation to run a marathon, their knees and their joints will be sore. Their body will be racked with pain. However, to continually be focused on that exercise under the direction of a careful coach, those aching limbs will eventually heal. And when they do, they will be stronger than ever before. And for this reason, we should neither resist nor run from God's discipline. Instead, we should prepare ourselves for it, expect it, and even welcome it. Because knowing that the trying of our patience produces the results that we need. Not because pain is fun. I think all of us would avoid pain. I think Paula thinks that I enjoy pain, so I endure as much as I can on going through exercising and stuff. But it's not that. It, I enjoy the results from that. Not because pain is fun, but because the suffering of the discipline it brought us toward a greater end a spiritual healing, strength, and the ability to run the race that is set out before us in faith and hope and love. And just like the faithful saints of old that we talked about in verse 1 that have gone now into the grandstands to watch us run our race, the author, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, marked out the path for us. I think I mentioned before, on Monday through Fridays, I get up at 5 a.m. I exercise for about an hour to hour and a half, and while I'm doing that, I'm listening to my Bible study. Do I do it because I love getting up at 5 AM? Nope. Most mornings, I probably grumble more than I should. But I enjoy the results of being able to stay healthy, both physically and spiritually. So I press on. And that's what we're to do in our spiritual walk. So what's the application for today's passage? It's on the other page, side of your bulletin insert. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. The application is we need endurance and discipline in order to keep us from quitting. This passage today is clearly seen that our faith is not a fleeting flush of a feeling that comes over us when we sing our favorite hymns or sing our favorite choruses. And faithfulness is not for fair-weathered attitude that delights when life is good and things are looking up. Faith fully embraces God's goodness, his power, and his providence, even when things seem to be falling apart. And it's testing our patience. We come to the end of our rope and says, Lord, I don't know if I can hang on anymore. God says, hang on a little bit longer. We'll get you through. Faith fully embraces God's goodness, his power, and his providence when things seem to be falling apart. Faithfulness is determined It's a determined plan to finish, God, what he set out before us, that marathon that he has for us. Regardless of our aching limbs, regardless of the painful training of our heavenly coach, the dangerous obstacles on life paths, the rumbling storm clouds, the trials and temptations on the horizon, which many times never come to pass, but we worry about those things that don't happen. In light of these realities of the life of faith, let me suggest two practical applications to keep us on track. And these are found in your bulletin insert there. The first application is claim the grace to persevere through the race. When the winds of adversity blow you back, it causes your legs to wobble, and you come or filled with doubts, and the worldly crowd boos you at your every step, call on God to give you the endurance and the grace that you need to answer the prayer may involve uncomfortable training or painful discipline. His answer to the prayer may be that we're safe in God's hands. Now, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. It has great promises that if we lean on God's grace to persevere, then he is there for us. If you've never pondered this passage or memorized it, You might want to take time to do so. You'll find it a a powerful reminder of God's provision and strength throughout life. And I've included it in your bulletin insert there at the bottom. But let me read it. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak. And strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And the second practical application here is remember that you're not in this race alone. Nothing will dampen your spirits or cut to your stride in your spiritual marathon more than feeling that you're all alone. You're not. You're part of a faith community here. You're part of a greater faith community of those who have gone before us. Consider the golden words of a Scottish preacher by the name of John Bailey and make this prayer your own. He said, I thank thee that this Christian way whereon I walk is no untried or uncharted road. But the road beaten hard by the footsteps of the saints, the apostles, the prophets, and the martyrs, and all those who have gone before us. And you are also running on that path, making it so others that follow you will also run that path. Millions of faithful men and women have run the same path that you're on. The Lord Jesus himself has marked it out for us, so we know the way that we're going. By the suffering on the cross, He illuminated this destination in the resur- by His resurrection and ascension and life. We know where we're going. We know that, that home in heaven, that future global Eden is our ultimate destiny. We may not know the path exactly between here and there, but we know what the end result is, and that's what we need to take. This is our faith walk. This is our marathon that we're running today. When we look at God with hope and bear in mind the example of the countless saints who have gone before us, as it says in verse 1, we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses in this life of faith. Our strength that be renewed with each step that we take. When we also regard and re- recall God's disciplining and his worries and disciplines us so that we'll be successful all along the way, not like the frustrated coach That his team is not following, but he disciplines us like a loving father. Our confidence because of this will be emboldened with every stride that we take. That is our faith walk. To follow those who have gone before us and to leave a path for those who come behind us to find us faithful. Now, next week, we'll explore a call to listen to God in a message titled, Watch Out for Worldliness. And it's Hebrews 12, verses 14 through 29. So if you have a chance, read that in preparation for next week's message. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your love, your goodness, your mercy to us. We thank you for this message today. May all who go behind us find us faithful as we find those who have gone ahead of us, faithful, may we never resist your loving coaching, your discipline, and when we step out of line at times, correction, Father, help us to be a disciple of yours by living a life of faith on a daily basis, even when the storm clouds are dark at times, Father, may we continue on pressing forward to the higher way. Pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. As we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously.